Hi, this is Viv and you're listening to the new episode of If I Did, You Can Too. The guest that I have for you guys today is someone who seems very zen, someone who seems like she's been meditating her entire life, but once you hear her story, you'll be shocked in the best way possible. She is one of the most inspiring people And I actually say this about every single person that I interview because honestly, they really are or they wouldn't have been on this show. Every single person honestly can be inspiring to me. So yes, get ready to see how this girl from a small town from Philippines made her way into where she is right now with the business that she has right now. Why don't we get inspired? Okay, so we have Kriska right here with us. Kriska, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Kriska. I like to believe that I am a vessel of good vibes. I am a mom to three rescue dogs and also a new mom to a five-month-old baby. I am a small-town girl from the Philippines and a Filipino currently living in Malaysia. That's me in a nutshell. Okay, a girl from a small town. Go ahead and tell us how a girl from a small town ended up being who you are right now with your business and your journal that people actually, that's how precious it is that people give it as a gift to other people. All right. So I was born in this city called Tugigarao, which is the hottest city in the Philippines in terms of temperature. Uh, a normal day can go from 37 degrees to 42 degrees Celsius. And, uh, well, Tugigarao is a small city in the Philippines and Philippines in general is a developing country. Um, a huge population of the Philippines, uh, lives either below the poverty line or just right above the poverty line who are just trying to make it every day. And, my family is uh in between that bracket. I was born in a small barangay. Barangay is what we call the smallest unit of the government. Uh, and this barangay is notorious for being a hub for uh, drugs and where teenage pregnancies are really high. And it's just like a, a low vibrational place where people... Attack each other, literally. <laughs> and my parents uh, decided that this is not the place for, um, this is not a, a conducive place to raise a family. So we moved to uh, a place that's just 10, 10 minutes away, but that made all the difference. We started living in a garage because we couldn't afford um, a rented property. And with a little uh, patience and some savings, we moved from this garage to a small rented place. Even though we didn't have much, I never felt like we didn't have much because the home is always happy. Like my dad, when he doesn't have projects because he's a, he's a project engineer and he has work when there's projects. When he doesn't have projects, he stays home with me. We make cooking fun. We had a clay cooker. We cannot afford a gas cooker. So we had a clay cooker and cook with charcoal. And everything was like just really fun, even though we didn't have much. So 
This small town girl grew up to be entrepreneurial and enterprising and creative in ways to make her own money as young as four years old. Because this is the only way that I can buy some of my wants, such as toys and Barbie dolls. If not, we don't have any budget for that. So I join small town singing contests, dance contests, or whatever contest that has a prize money. So I can collect the prize money and save this to buy myself toys. Uh, so that, that's, that's my childhood. It's fun. It's interesting. It's not uh, an ordinary kind of childhood, but I think that has shaped me to who I am today. Basically, someone who's just like really experimenting, exploring ways and means to better myself and to find money where others wouldn't necessarily find. <laughs> so yeah, um, after after I graduated from college, I moved to uh, a different city and started my career in the call center. The Philippines is one of the most uh, sought after hubs for call centers apart from India. And probably like 50 to 70% of, of, of the working population work at a business process outsourcing uh, company. And so I started uh, working at the call center for six years and I got a lucky break to be given a an opportunity to work in HR as an organizational development specialist where I had no idea how I got that job because I didn't have the credentials. It's purely call center customer support and I was given that break. And thankfully that break has given me more breaks and I have helped myself winged and worked my way around until I uh, got promoted to a HR manager of a 1,000 headcount company of millennials. So imagine being an HR of the of millennials. I would I would I don't want to say whiny, but yeah, <laughs> of like millennials with a lot of demands. And it's it's cool because I am also a millennial, a vintage millennial. <laughs> A lot of people say that working in HR is stressful, especially in human relations where we get to hear about customer cases and even going to labor courts. It is in a way, but I look at it from the perspective of I am learning and this is my laboratory and I'm getting paid while doing it. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed that job. I had a great relationship with my colleagues, with my bosses, and this job pays me really well. But then I went on a trip and I, I went to Malaysia for, for a holiday and I met this person who would have, who would change the course of my life. That's my future husband. So I met him randomly in a club and, uh, we connected. And we decided that we want to take this further. And we did the long distance thing for a couple of years. I just met him one night and two days later, I have to go back to the Philippines. But we decided that we like each other and let's give this a try. After two years of traveling in and out of Malaysia every three months and going to different countries, we decided that we want to close the gap. And by closing the gap, I had to move to Malaysia. This was a difficult decision for me because 
I am just starting to feel financial freedom as a 31-year-old in the peak of her career and throwing it all away or risking it all, risking it all in the name of love for a guy who's six years younger than me. And being six years younger, he's just starting out. So am I going to put my life in the hands of a guy that is just starting his career while I am at the prime of my career? <laughs> but yeah, so my friend asked me, are you sure that you're going to give up this job and your house and everything that you've built here in the city to move to Malaysia for what? And I told her, it's, yeah, I think it makes sense because it's easier to find a decent job than to find a decent man. So that's what I did. I, I, I resigned. I packed everything, moved to Malaysia. And when I moved to Malaysia, I learned that Foreign spouses have their own predicaments, especially when um, restarting their life, solidifying their social economic livelihood, con social connections, economic uh, economic livelihood, all of these things. It's not easy for a foreign spouse because there is a a stipulation on the visa that we couldn't get employed for a year. It's it's a, it's like that, but it's not the exact verbiage. So for me, it's one year. I wasn't uh, prepared to not do anything for one year. I was just ready to go full throttle on my career. And then it had it. And then I had to do a full stop. I'm not ready to be a housewife yet at the age of 31. I have so much energy. I have so much fuel and dreams. So I did a workaround and I applied for an NGO where uh, this this non-governmental organization is called Souls 24-7, and their main mission is to serve, educate, and empower by teaching English to Malaysians. And I work in this NGO for six months, making about 5% of my previous salary, and also living in a dorm with uh, other volunteers. So it's like I moved to Malaysia to get married, but then I live in a dorm and not with my husband. But it was fun. It was fun. There's a lot of uh, uh, good lessons and great friendships formed in this NGO. And I decided that I don't want to just be a weekend wife. Maybe I can start doing something else like network marketing. And so I started doing network marketing. This is so different from what I um, used to do because it's very salesy. Everything has an agenda. Like whenever I speak to someone... At the back of my mind, I should push my business or recruit this person to work with me or let them buy my products. It's exhausting. It's always do, 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 sell, sell, sell. And I felt like I am dying on the inside because I am a creative by heart. I love writing. I love creating, what have you. And this is just killing me on the inside. It's really all for the money. So I said, this is not worth it. After doing that for a year, I decided to go back to getting employed because it's been a year. So I floated my resume to several companies looking for HR jobs, even copywriting jobs. I don't have any copywriting experience, but I know I like to write. I'm not sure if that is uh, good enough. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I floated my resume, but it's not the same. It's not the same playing field because I'm not local. I am a woman in her 30s. There are so many employment biases by just like looking at these first few details, 
my CV is going to be put in the trash, figuratively. So I saw this uh, a job opening for an intern, a, a, a digital marketing intern at a startup. This startup was owned by a 25-year-old. Someone was like eight years younger than me. But I took the job and all of my colleagues were averagely 10 years younger than I am. And instead of feeling sorry for myself as a 33-year-old intern, I actually took that as a badge of honor because I had the courage and the guts to do what it takes in order for me to continue learning and to at least get that opportunity. And once I am in there, I can prove myself that I am worthy of being promoted. And within three months, I got promoted to digital marketing executive. But then things took a little turn when uh, I, I submitted my video resume for video cover letter for Mind Valley, and I got hired as a customer support representative. Uh, working with this, uh, working with this company really changed the course of my life. I started to think differently beyond the, the normal Asian construct of just work, get married, have kids, and then die. Um, it, it opened my mind and my eyes to a lot of things. A lot of these uh, connections that I made in Mind Valley showed me that things can be done differently. And it made me start to ponder upon what I can offer to the world. When I was working in this amazing company, I wanted to grow in a linear way in this company. I know that I'm going to work in this company for a long time. And so I got promoted as a project manager, but then the pandemic hit and this job is no longer needed. This job was no longer needed, but at the same time on the background, my husband and I were trying to conceive. We decided that we want to expand our family and we decided to go the route of IVF because it turns out that we have lower chances based on the tests. And while I was working so hard hustling in this uh, corporate job in the company that I love, I was doing IVF on the background. So instead of making it a priority, it was just an accessory to my career. <laughs> so naturally, it didn't succeed. My eggs didn't respond to the medicines, the things that I'm injecting because I am in a full-on high-intensity work mode. I didn't respect my body. I didn't respect the process of life creation. I treated it as a checklist, like a project with a checklist, not as a sacred thing. So after uh, that failed and also the pandemic hit, I had to be moved to a different uh, role, which is actually my first role when I started working in this company. At first, I, I experienced a lot of resistance. My ego was hurt. I felt like not really good. Like, why am I starting from where I started? It doesn't feel right. But because I had a lot of free time in my hands, not because I'm not doing anything, but I have mastered doing this job as I've been doing it for a year, and we're no longer going to work. There's no commute. So there's suddenly a lot of time in my hands. I started working on myself, working on myself, uh, meaning doing a lot of introspection, something that I've never done before because I'm such an extroverted person and I'm a very action driven person. 
that really if I sit by myself, I don't know what to do. I might go crazy, but this is actually a very a good time for awakening. I joined this meditation challenge with one of my friends named Shushan. And this meditation challenge was from Deepak Chopra. It's 21 Days for Abundance. And I've never really meditated. It's not my thing because I am a doer. I'm an action kind of person. So as I went through this meditation journey, I experienced a lot of um, downloads, ideas of how I can contribute to the world. Like this special thing that I have, I was able to feel a lot of feelings that I've never felt in a long time. And these feelings are pretty basic if you come to think of it. It's the feeling of balance. It's the feeling of peace. And it's the feeling of bliss. And these three feelings are supposed to be inherent in our everyday lives. It's supposed to be there. It's not like something that I have to chase for. Because when I was born in this earth, I was pure and no ego and just pure bliss and just pure peace. I know that now as I look at my son. So I just had to remember what I was. And that was the missing piece. So when I felt very peaceful and joyful, I proactively spoke to my manager and I said, um, you know what? I don't want to go back to the project manager job. My, my priorities and my values have changed over the course of these few weeks of introspecting and progressing linearly in a corporate job isn't something that I resonate with anymore. What I want is to maintain this peace, bliss, and joy that I feel while working on my priority, which is to make space to create life. We already failed. We tried, we failed because I was such in a masculine energy of doing and not embracing my feminine energy of just, hey, chill, girl, let's make life. (laughs) So um, I I told my manager that I want to stay here in customer support and just zen zenify myself so i can i can so i can give birth to the next version of kriska that's that needs to be birthed i don't want to be in a loop of doing this career thing i've been doing this for more for more than a decade i've been here a while so that's it i i i i started working in again in customer support and working on this journaling prompts. So when I was having these downloads, one of the things that I wanted to to do is to know myself more, is to have a better relationship with myself. And so I had like a inspiration for journaling prompts for myself, to heal myself, to have a better relationship with myself. And I started writing this journaling prompts in an empty notebook. And I just journaled for 75 days straight. While I was journaling, there were a lot of shifts that happened within me. My external circumstances haven't changed. We are still on a full lockdown. My salary didn't increase, nothing of that. But my, but my internal environment, I would say, has, has been cleaned a lot. I felt like I was reborn. And within that journaling period, I also got pregnant naturally. And a lot of things just seemed to flow my way. I was the product of my own book. When I saw that this journaling prompts worked, I shared it with some of my friends and they started using it. 
and they gave me feedback. They said, Chris, God, this is really good. So I said, hey, why don't I create a journal? Maybe I self-publish this book. It's crazy. You know, it's crazy because I've never done anything like this. And self-publishing a book in a foreign country isn't cheap. So I, I, I had, I had my savings and I was like asking my husband, you know, I have this crazy idea of self-publishing this, this journal. I feel like this impact driven project can help a lot of women, especially in Asia in particular, because we are conditioned to always give, give, give and not really give time to nurture ourselves, even just by answering simple questions like this every day. But I'm afraid that if I do so, I'm going to use up my savings that's maybe intended for the baby. I'm not sure. And he said, I think you should go for it because I believe in your impact-driven project. And if anything, if you go on this journey as a pregnant woman and uh, birthing your other project, it is a story that would be worth telling our child. And if it fails, I'm always here as a financial cushion. <laughs> So I, I, I started uh, working on it. It's a very simple process, really. I do not, I did not have a sophisticated process. I had no idea how to self-publish a book. I have no idea how to put up a website. I have no idea how to market the book, but it all worked out. I don't have a sophisticated marketing plan at all. So how, how that started was, um, I hired a bunch of colleagues to create the website and to, to create the design and all of these things. Cause this was the first time that I broke this, uh, financial barrier in my head. I didn't want to hire people because I'm afraid that I'm going to lose money. I'll just probably do it myself and do it for free. But then, um, I, I broke the financial barrier because of that meditation challenge and I just hired three people to work with me. And after that, everything just fell into place. When, uh, I launched the journal, it was, it wasn't like a, a grand launch with a, with the landing page. It was just a Facebook post and an Instagram post sharing about my journey of how I came up with this journal and how it has helped me. And during that soft launch, a lot of people supported me. I was so, I was so overwhelmed because people, even from my country bought as much as 31 journals, 20 journals all at once. And from Singapore, from Philippines, from Malaysia, that was really overwhelming. At first, I had money to print out 100 copies. I was just, let's just test it out. And then I said, okay, maybe let's do 200 copies. But my printer said, I had 100 copies here just uh, waiting for you extra in case you need it. But they didn't push me to, to, like, uh, to pay for it. But I said, you know what? The universe will provide. I will, I will take those 300 copies. So I, I just started marketing organically. I never did ads. It's all organic story sharing and, uh, the testimonials of the people who have used it. And after eight months of organically marketing the journal, it got sold out. It got sold out. And I have a lot of, uh, people whom I don't know, messaging me and asking if they can pre-order. I am in the process of doing the second edition, like um, polishing the design, having a different cover, adding a few more things in it. And it's, it, it's, it's surreal. I, 
I'm very humbled and grateful that this has happened. I was just like thinking, this is a crazy thing. Let me just do things uh, the old school way. I didn't even do any of the sophisticated thing of putting it on a, on a PDF and maybe like sell it on Amazon. It's not like that. I just wanted a simple impact driven project that can help women embrace their power through self love and mindfulness tools in Asia. Because there's a lot of this in the Western world. Why would I want to sell it over there when there's a market here that is untapped that actually needs it more? And I priced it in such a way that even an average college student can buy it. One of my colleagues asked me, why are you selling it at this particular price? You can actually sell it more. I said, yeah, I know that I can sell it more, but... If I sell it at a higher price, it makes it inaccessible to the people that I want to share it with, the average Asian woman. So yeah, I said it's, it's an impact driven project. If it helps the life of one person, I am, I am very, very happy. I didn't publish this journal to make a millionaire out of myself. So yeah, I'm not sure if that makes sense to, uh, to any entrepreneur because it's all about scale, scale, scale. But I want to start a business that has a soul, that leaves a legacy, and that has a ripple effect. And this is specially made for women. Wow, this is so beautiful. The whole thing. I have one question from you, Kriska. The whole time, so as I'm listening to your story, right from the beginning, it was just go, 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 go. It seemed like you always knew where you wanted to go, what the next step was, and you were always hopeful. Was there a time that you hit rock bottom, that you lost all your hope? And if that happened, how did you get back on track? Yeah, okay. Um, I've never shared this uh, public publicly on a podcast, but I actually um, healed myself from addiction, from drug addiction. I was using uh, recreational drugs for four years and my drug of choice was methamphetamine and I'm a weekend drug user, but for like four to five years. And then one day I decided that this is not the life that I want. I, I, I used, I, uh, I used drugs for experiment because I'm such a curious person. It's not that I had trauma or anything, but I was a small town girl who studied in a Catholic university, never drank until 24 years old. And then suddenly I have all this money and I just want to experience partying with different people. And so I did this party phase for four years and I was in, um, I was in a deep, credit card debt of about 20,000 ringgit or something. And it was during that like rock bottom that I realized that this is not the life that I want to live. And I don't have any problems. Why am I creating one? You know? So one day I, I, one day I decided I don't want to do this anymore. So cold turkey, I just started running. I, I ran 800 meters. I felt like shit because I never really did running. From 800 meters, it progressed to one kilometer, to three kilometers, to five, to 10, to 16, to 21 kilometers. And I ran four 21 kilometers in a year. And that has helped me 
recover from the addiction. I just like one day I decided I don't want to do this anymore. Let me start running like forest, like run, forest, run. So after, after running for a year, I was sober and I'm sober until now. That was, I was 28 years old then and now I'm 36. So I'm eight years sober. And yeah, that was, it, it's just really when, when you know, you know that you're ready to move forward and there's no preparation needed. So it was like cold turkey and just said, I'm going to, I'm going to get my life back on track. Um, yeah. Kriska, tell us where people can find you, whether your Instagram handle, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you want. Okay, so you can find me at Kriska Journeys on Instagram. And you can also find my stories platform at Zen Feminism, also on Instagram. So like you, Viv, I collect stories in the written form. <laughs> Yeah, so so you can they can find me on these two um, these two handles at Kriska Journeys at Zen Feminism and lastly for a journal at through dot me dot journal. If they want to purchase the journal, should they DM you on Instagram or there's a website for it as well? It's currently available on Shopee. So if you are uh, ah, okay. from Malaysia and Singapore. You can buy it from Shopee when it's restocked because currently it is out of stock and I'm working on the second edition. Probably by the time this podcast is out, it's already ready for them to purchase it. Kriska, if you were to leave the people of this podcast with one last word, one last thing, what would that be? Acceptance and uh, non-resistance. So two things. The way forward to flow with life and make life cooperate with you is just accepting what is either it's good or bad or where you want or not want just accept what is with an open heart and then you flow forward so yeah wow Thank you. This is one of the most profound episodes I've recorded. And I've recorded a lot of episodes so far. <laughs> um, okay. So, Kriska, go ahead and do your own goodbye, whatever way that you want with the audience. And then once you're done, I'll do mine. Well, Viv, I want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. And for those of you who are listening, I want to say thank you for lending me some precious minutes of your time. Life is beautiful, really. The highs, the lows, the detours and all. It's, it's a beautiful journey. And if we just flow with it, not resist and not attach ourselves to what we think is a false sense of security and to just accept, accept uncertainty because uncertainty is the constant. Life will just open up beautifully beyond our imagination. It is way more than what we have goals set. It will actually surprise us and the universe will cooperate in so many mysterious ways. We just have to surrender and embrace the change. Thank you. Thank you so much, girl. Thank you guys for listening. Kriska, thank you so much for accepting my invitation and coming on the show and sharing your story with us i hope you guys actually enjoyed it as well i enjoyed it so much i hope you did as well 
And yeah, this was yet another episode of If I Did, You Can Too. Until next time, bye-bye.